Today I welcome Ian Wilmshurst, Headmaster at Kings Bruton School in the UK. In this episode, I discuss sexual harassment in schools, the ongoing concerns of student mental health, coming out of COVID, plus sharing some remote learning successes. I mean, recently in the news, there's been discussion over everyone's invited, you know, an organisation committed to eradicating rape culture. Obviously, shockingly, a large number of UK independent schools are featured on a list of testimonies from rape and assault survivors. I mean, what are your thoughts on this as a movement and as something that needs to be brought into the spotlight? I think it's very positive. As a school, we weren't named, but actually I've said to my governing body, pupil body, it's irrelevant. We're not named. We could have been named, um, and I'm assuming we have been named. The issues that have come out of this are so important, and I think we've all, parents, teachers, governors, have been asleep on the job. I think we don't want to talk about I think rape culture is absolutely right. There's, there's all facets of it. It's for the safety of boys and girls. You know, pornography, we just avoid it, really, to really deal with it. Consent, and it's actually very positive that we're all having these conversations front and central and everybody's talking about social media has been open access for far too long and the impact of that on young teenagers is really powerful and negative in many ways and there's lots of positives yeah i mean there are lots of positives with social media but as you say what, what's happened is that we, we've had an unfiltered tap access that we've given impressionable young people without anybody stewarding them understanding and needing them because i wouldn't just give my six-year-old full access to a fire and just say, God, go and do what you want on it. You know, they need guidance. Do you feel that parents and maybe schools and teachers, we've been kind of asleep on the job? It's always been a, we'll deal with it when there's a problem, but right now, carry on doing what we know. Because it's embarrassing, it's out of our understanding, it's uncomfortable. This, when things go wrong, are in parties where there is alcohol, there's drugs, there's very little supervision. That's hard for parents to manage. I'm a parent as well, teenagers, hard to manage. You want them to have this social life but when they do there are risks so i think that's how we act how we move forward with this is is important but actually once you the flare the flame and the burn everything burned has gone down okay this is where we are it's not private schools it's all schools universities colleges workplace there is an issue we have with how relationships and sexuality is perceived by a large minority of our teenagers too many girls i don't have a voice and too many boys don't have a voice who object to it, but just will keep quiet. My fundamental feeling is this is good. We really have to deal with this, and it's about time we did. What do schools need to do to tackle this issue? Talk, talk, talk. And it's the triangle between a teenager, parent, and the school. Keep that open. And also I get, for us, I think, and all schools get external experts in who know what they're talking about. The hardest bit will be training staff, maybe giving them the confidence that they can talk about this. And with the conversations we're having at the moment, in a school are really productive. Boys and girls think, yeah, you're right, it's a problem. I'm interviewing sort of 40-odd lower six who want to be school prefects because it's a traditional process. And I'm having conversations now with them about mental health, sexuality, sexual harassment, consent, which I've never had 10 years ago. Far more nuanced. They know right from wrong, you know, and, and they actually want help. And does the solution begin in the classroom? You know, do lessons on rape culture, sexual assault. I know there's lessons, you know, we have these odd sessions that happen every term, it feels like, in schools, which is a wrap-off of social and, and other things. I think we need, I think all schools are looking at PSHEE and say that is the too little, too late. And it has been for generations, and it's always been added on the end. I think PSHE has to be an integral part to it, but as, as a whole school, 
approach. It can be taught, but to be honest, it is far more if the discussions happen outside the classroom, however your pastoral systems work, tutor meetings when boarding and day. It's the conversations that happen outside the structured school day. As long as they are facilitated and ensure they happen, it is things like assemblies with pupils talking. If you have a boy talking to a school about these issues, the junior boys will listen. They will absolutely, if you have me talking about it, they will listen, but we're not nearly as, as effective as somebody they look up to. And if you have groups of seniors talking to themselves and be able to discuss it, things will move. So I, I think it's everyone's invited to start at a train's left the station and it, it won't stop. We've got to make sure that it's managed carefully, but as a head of a co-education school, I'm saying this is a live issue and we're going to deal with it. And it's got to be ongoing. It's, it can't just be put into a, a subject like P-H-S-H-E-E, whatever, you know, they've all got different terms, but it should not be sort of sidelined to that. It's an ongoing thing that we've got to keep re-educating the kids and know that this is really, really important. As good as your education, how you're upstanding in your own community and develop as a person is massively important to how you'll become an adult because decisions you make through peer pressure and other things because you're caught in that, in that void can affect the rest of your life. I think we have to be open. Your sexual health and the, the health of your sexual relationships are really important. You are, lots of boys and girls are going to start with a, a very warped negative view on very healthy part of life. And again, nobody's really wants to talk about that too much because it's a little bit awkward, but that's fundamental. You know, you're going to have to, in whatever relationships you're in, the sexual health of that is important. The good thing is, is with the boarding school is that, that you have them in your care. So you can probably affect more during a term time. I feel for, I say, the day schools or the state schools where parents are a massive part of this too. And I certainly struggle. I struggle to find the time with my four kids beyond everything else. To, I know I need to and I know I want to, but I'm very guilty of going, they seem okay. They say the right things, but I do know teenagers lie and I will deal with the fire when it starts to come. Yeah, I think that's probably inevitable. I think you're right. Teenagers, they all, they all lie. And when we were teenagers, we lied to our parents. And, you know, you've got to be realistic. There's going to be, I mean, some parents have got very open relationships. Teenagers need to lie, need to have some privacy and need to learn as well. But we just, I think at the moment, we're just letting with the social media and the internet, the open access, that they're very vulnerable. I think we will just put more support around them and more talk. Anytime we've had as a head, there's been a major pastoral discipline incident and parents have to come in. Virtually all of them, I mean, I've been head here 12 years, have been, in the end, it's been positive. Parents have had a conversation with their children over whatever it is. It's the first time we've actually had a conversation. And that's how everyone's invited schools are in. It's really difficult. I wouldn't underestimate the pain and the hurt those involved. But in actual fact, looking wider, this is a, an opportunity for us to start talking and to move forward positively. The long term is very encouraging and positive. I mean, King's Bruton describes itself as having a very strong pastoral heart. Just how important is an acknowledgement of mental health and well-being in schools? Well, it always has been important. I think with COVID, it's come front and centre because everybody's had to come to terms with challenges to their mental stability, mental health that they probably hadn't really thought about before. Go back to school prefects. I've had boys and girls talk openly about their you know, mental health. I think it's the biggest thing we should be looking at. And it is it is important on, mo on lots of levels that we've got the right outlets to discuss. In extreme, they have more, more external support. And we've had, probably had twice as many eating disorders than we would normally have.
but that's probably doubled. And, and the severity has increased quicker than we would have thought in the past. So then COVID has been the driving force of that. Again, they've got access to social media. They're assuming things are worse for them than they are. So I think we also need to look at how we triage our mental health supports. Yeah, we've got health centre, we've got counsellors, mental health nurses, practitioners who are going to talk to them, actually maybe reassure. Yeah, you are struggling, but it's not as bad as you may think it is. This is the toolkit to help you get better and help you manage it. So I think at the moment, it collapses very quickly. When we can, maybe just slow it down and say, okay, it is normal. It's what we're dealing with. So I think talking about it again, it's very important. It's trying to get rid of the stigma. Mental health is like physical health. If you're unhealthy, we will help you get back healthy again. But if I've got a lump, I will go straight on, social, on, on the internet and find out and, and self-diagnose myself and I'll be dead of cancer within two months, you know, if I leave it to myself. My brother's a GP and he says, whatever you do, do not go on the internet. Yeah, if you've got nothing wrong, give us a paracetamol, come back to me in two months and you'll be fine. And then, then you're fine. So I think sometimes for mental health, the teenagers assume the worst. And sometimes, you know, there are suicides, but there are far more people talking about suicide than actually... But they all do that. It's an extreme of teenagers. You know, I've I experienced it myself. You know, I just listen to my, to my children, their friendships. I've seen the eating disorders playing out. We talk about CAMS, you know, CAMS has, I think, seen between a 50 and 75% increase in the number of inquiries. They understaff, they can't just support it. For our experience, when you can get the access, they have been very good. And I don't think you can deal without that external uh, advice and support. What I think schools can do far better is, is manage it before it gets to a level, anything level that, you need external support. And it's putting everything into context. And I think a lot of schools recognise that, you know, there was a lot of anxiety between kids being away for so long and then coming back into a physical environment. Their priority was not on curriculum because we'd already missed a lot of curriculum and content. It was really around well-being, And I think those schools got it absolutely right because you'll always catch up on knowledge. Knowledge is something we can, we can find, we can learn new things. But unless I'm happy, unless I'm well, unless I'm confident, you haven't got a hope of getting anything great out of me. We didn't miss a beat. We went straight to online lessons, music lessons, drama, learning support, EAL, academics. The whole time till we just went online. So our boys and girls, very few of any, were behind academically. Some were ahead because actually they preferred working on their own and, and they moved really quickly. So some of our the upper six are incredibly fast. So... But then we also did an online initiative called King Spirit when it was a, sort of an online weekly sort of magazine with lots of input from pupils and parents and alumni as well. Uh, there was physical challenges, there was poetry, there was baking, there was something, a real community online initiative just to get everybody talking, engaged. There was things lots about mental health in there as well. Um, so in actual fact, it worked really well. The issues we're having now is, is the bubbles is the problem. It's having groups isolated from each other. We start in year nine, our third form, are a bit like puppies that haven't been socialised. They haven't had the mixing with the older pupils. There's no assembly. This, we, don't know, we do have a church service. That can't happen. They're, they're mixing the dining hall. The, and the same with the staff as well. You don't have the staff meetings. When you're all in there Monday morning, this morning, 10.30, I've done it on MS Teams or Zoom virtual meeting. Well, actually, normally I have the whole staff in with coffee, chatting, and they miss that socialization. So talking to the school prefects and all the interviews, they said that's their priority is get us back mixing as a school. And it's the community. So that's when remote teaching, I think we did really well. It's good if it has to happen, but the communication between individuals across a school is so important. Um, and then we've really struggled with that. And I've noticed that too. Again, you know, running a, an agency, 50 plus staff, all working remotely. 
you're missing a part of it is culture culture is not nothing you can really you can't have that and you can't have that sense of people the human side the little conversations as you say over coffee there was a huge bit you've missed my son joined a boarding school for GCSEs for the last two years of GCSEs we moved him and you know he's only really in school for two and a half terms out of the whole six terms that he would have been there so he missed a huge amount of that piece that we wanted to move for the community thankfully he's got some of that now the areas of school that really been hit for us have been hit hard the extracurricular is music and drama but again we're a smaller school but we'd have year nine pupils with opposite pupils in the choir and they just learn so much. But and then to have them in you know, a third form choir is very different from a whole school choir. And because you can't perform to an audience, you don't have the younger ones actually performing in front of mum and dad, and, which is very nerve-wracking, but it's a huge part of their education and their confidence building. And same on the stage. You know, it's very difficult doing it, very different doing it to a, on a radio play than doing a live audience of boys and girls of your peers. So that's an area we're going to get back into the group dynamics of a drama and music um, get them performing and playing together boarding school's got to be quite careful because you're going to get some people saying actually i can get this education on a cheap i can say i can't come in and we carry on doing remote teaching as with live and remote it's a hybrid scheme we've got to be quite careful going forward boarding schools it wouldn't underestimate the impact on overseas pupils you know some haven't been home for a long time now and are very well supported by guardians and schools, but they've had to do quarantine. They've got to worry about transport, the uncertainty, how do they get home, can they get back? They've really been put through the mill. So, and, and obviously, these people are really important. And they show a lot of commitment to our education. I worry about their mental health as well. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. Mental health, I mean, we're talking a lot about mental health and to me, it's a conversation that we've got to keep having and but it's not just a conversation, it's action and change. We're obviously, we are in the middle of a very tangible mental health crisis. I don't think the repercussions of COVID on the mental health, not just of youngsters, but with adults too, will be felt for a while yet. But we know that there is a problem. We can see it in our kids and you can see that in your own students. What are you doing or what should schools be doing to make sure that mental health and the safety and well-being of your students is really dealt with properly? I think it always has been dealt with properly. It's always been part, not something new with COVID. It's just probably got more extreme. But again, I'm, I'm probably more positive and optimistic. Then that's probably more front centre and uh, less of a stigma, more talked about now. I think we've always managed it pretty well, but we have to do it better and more often look at maybe how we staff it. But it's, it's constant communication and talking and understanding. It's positive action. And you're right, resilience. It's been wonderful to see resilience throughout the community, but throughout the world, you know, that's what we've had to do as humanity, deep, deep and collectively for the first time, have a shared enemy. And I agree. I think courage has been brilliant. I've seen, you know, the amount of people that have put themselves out there and positivity, you know, and that, and that comes through leadership. I was given advice when I started, oh my, about three years ahead, when the government said, don't keep looking forward, just look back where you've come from. You know, I think we should look back look where we've come from the last 18 months. An actual fact, we have coped. There's lots of criticisms of lots of things that are going to happen, but a lot of the schools that you're dealing with have coped. You know, and, and, and state schools as well, with huge issues, you know, they, they, with massive challenges. You know, we, we've got advantage of got IT. Actually, everyone had their, their equipment, just, and we were outstanding IT. We, we went remote. We could do it, but we did it. 
Well, the focus has also been on everything we do, mental health, the community, academic, is quality. You can't. I dropped in on every teacher in the, in the lessons. They invited me in. So it was just 10 minutes. During the day, I just went to all the lessons, dropped in. And you just saw quality. There wasn't poor lessons because they were remote. Some of the engagement with some of the pupils in the morning wasn't that great, but that was maybe because the headmaster was joining in, so they weren't quiet. It's a great story um, and, and a case study to talk about King's Bruton because, you know, like many independent schools, you were ready. You know, you had great IT provision. You could deal with remote learning pretty quickly. Tell me about some of the successes that came out of remote learning, either for you personally or other successes you've heard of within the school. The whole timetable just went remotely, so there was no issues. So, also the, for me, the idea that I could just, I knew the timetable, I'm going to drop into third form physics, well, or upper six art history. You know, you knew those lessons were active and were engaged. The King's Spirit, the online initiative was published. That was probably the, and that's from my deputy head. And one of the arts of a leadership going through anything is delegate. So you've got to have a really good team. Uh, and that was so powerful. And a lot of our alumni, especially the older ones, bought in, they liked to know what was going to school. And they started sending in photographs and cine film of their time in school. Um, so it became a really important, important vehicle for the whole school community, which includes alumni, to get engaged and talk to each other and communicate. So that was the one bit that actually once it's, we went back live, we've had to try and replicate that, certainly with our alumni, online challenges in it, lots of you know, poetry, baking, everything was in it, a whole variety of things. So that's something that we'd look at. What you've learned in this COVID keepers kind of idea is, is our parents generally preferred the online parents' meetings. You know, they, they felt that was far better use of time, especially the borders. If you've got with one of military parents, dad's in Afghanistan, mom's in the UK, daughter's here. If you can actually have a virtual parents' meeting, they'll all be together for five minutes. So I think lots of parents' meetings, the conversations that they have with teachers, having watched so many of them and been as many, you know, there could be time, it's say, 10 minutes could be five easily. People talk far too long about it. And any other meetings that needed could happen outside the parents' meeting. We feel we've got to do a balance. The new pupils' parents, I think the lower six will have live. The rest will probably have virtual. And the other one I thought about also, because I've done all the, and we're, again, we're a small school, so I can, I've done all the parent tours since we come back. So I've done, the school here is 1.6 miles and 2,336 steps. I know that because I've measured it. So I've done over 80 tours. So my feet are not in great shape. I've got policeman's feet. My brother tells me the GP, which is when they used to do the beat. I don't think we'll have open mornings for our type of school because actual fact, everything's there virtually. Just come for a visit. A school is so disruptive in open morning and we put something on. Actually, if you want us, come and see when we're, when we'll tour around with a pupil or with me or, or senior member staff and meet me. And just see how it's in action. Uh, the rest is all on the social media uh, and online. It's all active. It's all live. It's all changing. You, you understand the school for that. Uh, you think it's the right place for us to come individually. So do you think sort of the remote learning aspect of what you know, schools have had to adapt to this last 18 months is something that will stay? Or it, will it just be there in the background should we need it? I think it'll be there in the background should we need it. I think for us, we're probably, our IT reckon we're probably across the board our staff four years ahead where they thought they would be with IT capability. We're pretty much paperless now, administrative-wise and educationally. There's not much paper going on. All the marking and the feedback is through MS Teams. So that side, I think, we'll use it. But um, we'll have it there. It means if staff are away, you know, isolation, they're still teaching, and we have to cover the lessons. So pupils are away. You can still have, they can still access the lessons. So there's much more flexibility on on there, but still, it goes back to what I said before, the community needs to be together. So we certainly got it. We've got the policy there. We could, we could go remote tomorrow. 
everything's in place. Uh, and, our, and we've got the IT capability to do that. So I think schools will, will have that flexibility. They'll want people, you want to see the whites of their eyes. I and mean, I, I was told that teachers, when I started teaching, teachers have got the most number of interpersonal contacts of any job. When you actually speak to somebody for the first time, uh, far more than other, it could be sit down, shut up, or where's your book, or hello. So you have a conversation, start a conversation with somebody more often than any other job. Because you're moving around seeing so many people, you take it away, you, you miss that. It's an incredible profession to be in teaching because of the human contact. You take the human contact out and it becomes a, a different role. The teachers really did not like remote teaching. They were very good at it and they did it very well, but they didn't enjoy it. Well, it's a different skill set. You know, they didn't go to teaching to sit at home in front of a computer and do it. It's a very different skill set to why you get into teaching. But it's been interesting to see. And there's different skill levels of teacher who could adapt their lessons better, the quality of content. The reality was is that everybody had to do that. And we did the best we could do. Your teachers did the best they could do to deliver the same curriculum to all those students just in a different medium. But they must be ready for a break now. Yeah, they, the problem is actually with it, it was in the sciences, the experiments, probably practical subjects really by the end of struggle. They were running out of lots of imagination, but actually you need them in the lab. I can't imagine you sending back sort of Bunsen burners um, and all the flammable stuff. Um. I mean, the other thing, really important, is teacher assess grades, unsustainable, in my view. The, the staff have done a head of department and teachers an incredible job. And I can understand why they've happened. But, and there may be a hybrid scheme, but the pressure on staff to mark and produce samples and the grades is a one-off, in my view. And I think teachers will really struggle. I'm sure it'll be a hybrid scheme going forward. But we've now got samples until July the 16th. Then we can have, beginning of August, we've got the results coming in, then parents can appeal against the results. So it's going to be a pretty, and then for boarding schools, 20th of August, you'll have quarantine coming back in. The two best things of teaching have always been July and August. Well, they've sort of gone a bit now, so uh, they are ready for a break. I fear for those who've been at university, especially those maybe who are now in the second university, they haven't had that experience. They've been disrupted over 18 months. Um, so the, the upper six, the leavers, what's their future? They've got really, they're ambitious, they're excited, but if they get curtailed and what they can do, it's going to be tough. So hopefully we can start coming out of this for everybody educationally. It impacts everyone. I mean, I've got, my, my daughter did the A-levels this year, my eldest, my son took his GCSE. So we're waiting, you know, they were the ones that, that really got impacted over two years of that. And yeah, you know, does my daughter go off and, you know, is she going to get a good first year if she goes into her first choice university? You know, what does that look like? And th these are still all lots of unknowns. We just got to the end of this point now. They're enjoying time off now. But yeah, and I think the teachers absolutely deserve and, and need a break. And hopefully we are going to be back to more normal. Do you predict a more normal school? Um, and we're going to have a pretty good normal school year. I think that we, with vaccinations, clearly that must be the reason for the vaccination. It gives us that opportunity to have more a more open, normal life. I think we've got to look at a lateral flow test rather than isolation. We can't have staff and people still isolating for 10 days. That, that just is not viable going forward. For the first time, I think we, we're getting near to the end. It'll be probably a different normal, another year, I'm sure. But uh, it's going the right way, I think. And I think as, as leaders, as heads, we should be optimistic and, and, and supportive of all boys and girls and the staff. So, yeah, you've done really well. We'll learn from it. Lots of interesting things to work on and then develop and become stronger school community. You know, well done. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.